This is Ozarks at Large for Tuesday, February 8th, 2022. I'm Kyle Kellams. You're listening to KUAF, and you can listen to us anywhere at any time with the KUAF app. Ahead this afternoon, you may know what it means if you let the cat out of the bag, but do you know why we say that? Our militant grammarian does. Up to and including the 1700s, a common street fraud included replacing valuable pigs <laughs> with less valuable cats. Idioms and their origins, the latest subject for Catherine Sherlds, our militant grammarian. That's in our second half hour today. In just a few minutes, we hear from the outgoing CEO of Heifer International. He's retiring in the fall. and He talked with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth. That's in about... Four minutes. The Arkansas Department of Health is recording another 24-hour period with a significant addition of virus deaths. The ADH added 36 fatal cases to the state's total yesterday. Active cases dropped by another 5,000 in the last 24 hours, leaving just more than 33,000 active cases in the state. The ADH recorded 729 new cases of COVID-19 in Arkansas yesterday. It's Election Day for voters in State Senate District 7 and in Ward 2 in Fayetteville. Both elections are to fill positions left vacant by resignations. Republican Colby Fulfer and Democrat Lisa Parks are seeking the State Senate seat. And three candidates, Mike Wiedeker, Leslie Belden, and Kristen Scott, are running for the empty seat on the Fayetteville City Council. Polls are open until 730. The coalition of organizations that recently paid off $35 million in medical debt for nearly 24,000 Arkansans is working on policies to reduce debt before it accrues. This week on Talk Business and Politics, Dr. Cherie Wes Scantleberry, the CEO of the Winthrop Rockefeller Foundation, which contributed to the debt reduction, said proposed policy changes include eliminating the ability of debt collectors to withdraw money from wages. Medical debt can be some of the most aggressive and abusive collection processes uh, known. And, um, and there's ways in which we can protect our consumers so that, uh, you know, uh, so that garnishment isn't an issue, um, so that they would not have to be abused by uh, credit agencies is another example. According to U.S. Census Bureau data, nearly 28 percent of black households in the nation had medical debt prior to the pandemic, and 18 percent of white households had similar debt. Groups in Arkansas say they're working to change policy at both the state and federal level to reduce debt. Performing artists have another opportunity to create with a new program launched by the Creative Arkansas Community Hub and Exchange, or CASH. The Creative Exchange Fund is a one-year initiative designed to activate the Springdale Creative Hub 214 as a community-led destination. There will be five funding categories awarding between $1,500 and $15,000. Cash is rejuvenating the 214 space, the former Arts Center of the Ozarks, as a creative hub and flagship destination for artist development, creative production, and public engagement. Artists and creatives interested can find out more about the programs at cashcreate.org. Deadline for applying is March 14th. The Arkansas State Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism is directing $225,000 to the city of Clarksville for the development of an all-inclusive playground and accessibility improvement at Klein Park. The award is part of a $3.6 million grant program for outdoor recreation throughout the state. The Johnson City Park in Washington County will also receive $225,000 for improvements. Muddy Fork Park in Prairie Grove will receive nearly $120,000 for improvements. And the city of Mulberry will get $65,000 for the installation of pickleball courts at the Mulberry City Park. And the Arkansas Razorback men's basketball team is one of the hottest in the country with an eight-game winning streak tonight. Arkansas faces number one Auburn in Bud Walton Arena, tip-off at six. This is Ozarks at Large. Little Rock-based international development organization Heifer International announced that its president and CEO, Pierre Ferrari, is stepping down in September. Ferrari led the organization for the past 12 years. Last week, he spoke with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth about his tenure and what he sees for the future of global development. 
All right, Pierre. So let's, uh, you know, start this year. You are retiring in September. Um, can you talk about, you know, since you became president and CEO of Heifer um, nearly 12 years ago, how has the organization changed? Yeah, it has changed very substantially. And uh, we started off uh, uh, with a system that was very scattered across the globe, 47 countries, 900 projects, about a, an average of 150 participants per project. And the work that we were doing was good. You know, we moved people out of real distress and, and hunger and, and moved them into a level of uh, subsistence, which was good. Um, but I thought there could be a lot more to, to do. You know, I came, I came from a business background and uh, consolidation, focus, scale, all these things are important in business for good reasons. You, uh, you, you, know, you, ben- you benefit from economies of scale. One of the major changes that we made was to sort of focus the resources from 47 countries down today to 21. Uh, instead of 900 small projects, we now have very large, you know, 20 odd large projects where we work with, you know, tens of thousands of farmers in a very disciplined way to change their lives more than shifting them to subsistence. We still, we still work with very poor, uh, very vulnerable people, but we move the whole community now, the whole landscape into a place of, uh, you know, opportunity to create wealth for themselves and stability and, and resilience. So that's the big change that's happened over the past 12 years. And I'm going to tell you when people see you know, a gleam of hope, Boy, they grab onto it with both hands and both legs, and they they go. Yeah, and I'm wondering, you know, if there's a, a specific project, you know, whether that was a, a pilot program or um, a community partnership that sticks out in your mind as uh, that Heifer went in with a specific idea of what what they wanted to do, and then had to go back and and, and say that's not working and and change it and kind of readjust due to scale and time, like you were talking about. Is there one that sticks out in your mind that, that worked well? You know, yeah. That, uh, well, we, we went to Nepal uh, with a goat market there. And the, the, the basic backstory is that we met uh, over dinner with some ministries uh, folks who were complaining that in spite of the fact that Nepalese uh, farmers actually had a lot of goats, they were still importing a lot of goats from India. And of course, that cost them foreign exchange, and they didn't like that. Uh, and so I said, well, why don't we mobilize the right number of farmers to grow the right kind of goats to basically substitute all the imports? And they said, well, we, we've thought of that, but we, we don't know how to do it. I said, well, I think we know how to do it. And I told them it's not going to take two or three years. It's going to take 10, 15 years to get that done because uh, there are a lot of factors involved in terms of the quality of the goats, the genetics of the goats the forage necessary for the goats and the distribution system, the collection points and transportation, everything else. And we've done it. And it just took 10 years. And now we've got this, we've got, as I said, 200,000 plus, actually it's more like 240, 240,000 farmers, mostly women, organized into co-ops and uh, apex and systems. And they've become almost not not only an economic force because they're, uh, producing and selling a lot of goats, but also political force because they're organized. The, the, the interesting thing that we've learned is that it's not all done with our resources. Most of the resources that led to this change that I'm talking about actually came from either the community itself because they were, they were generating cash flows because they were selling more goats, quality goats, and also local politicians and local municipalities that were saying, wow, this change is something we want to support and so they contributed to the changes that were necessary for, I said, infrastructure and transportation and all those things that make the farmers and their collective organizations successful. I call it landscape change. You know, as you take a whole landscape and you say, okay, how do we change it? Oh, Hef, I don't think people know this about Heifer that well, but essentially we do two things really well. One is we're very close to the community. And we bring the 12 cornerstones as a way to create a social psychological change among the communities and individuals. If people don't believe in their own capacities to make changes, it won't happen. We come across, you know, we work with the very poorest of the poor, and these communities are, you know, fatalistic about their, their situation in life, and they don't see any hope. So we change them 
in a psychological way from being hopeless to being hopeful. And then the second piece that we do, of course, is the analysis required. All right, you know, you're, you're raising cassava. Well, cassava, you can't make a damn bit of money on cassava. What can we do? You know, what, what, what can we do with the land that you've got? Well, maybe you should be growing corn or maybe you should be going, raising chickens and, or goats or whatever, but something that's profitable. That analysis is something they don't do and, and never thought about doing, but we do it. And we, we can come to the community and say, you know, uh, dairy, dairy, dairy is a good market for dairy. And, uh, you know, we'll help you get started. We'll place, well, this is what you see in the catalog at, at, uh, at Heifer, right? We'll place cows, we'll, we'll help them find the, uh, the livestock necessary, etc. So, you know, as you're retiring and, and deciding to, to step back this year, um, you know, where do you hope Heifer goes in the future? What areas does it still need to put more focus on? Or, you know, what, what do you think, what do you see it going in the future? Yeah, so I think there's two aspects which now I think we're prepared to do and it's, it's linked to the scale ideas that um, technology and digitization is going to happen at an incredible rate, right? Uh, we've got a program on solar energy, which is technology. And, uh, you know, the, the, the idea of bringing power to large numbers of people in all our projects is a, is a powerful idea because communities, you know, even though we're working well with them, they're still very poor and they don't have access to electricity. Or if they do have access to electricity, it tends to be intermittent and expensive. So we've got a program right now to actually uh, try to provide electricity using solar power to all of our participants, every one of them. And this reminds me of uh, FDR's effort back in 1936, where you know he focused on he said, "Okay, we're going to electrify rural America," and uh, you know he took he took uh, what. 20 years to get that done, but he got it done and it changed rural America for sure. And I think, you know, the same kind of spirit, we're going to try and electrify all of our uh, households in the communities where we work. So technology is going to be important. Digitization is a tool that allows for uh, efficiency, a massive increase in efficiency for the farmers in terms of not only buying inputs, but also access to markets uh, and all sorts of other other mechanisms. My successor, uh, you know, she will need. I think she will need to actually take what we've done and other technologies and and, and implement them uh, across across our system. The other one is to do with capital, uh, money, uh, not 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 donations to the to the farmers, but how do you give them access to the capital they need for working capital purposes, or capital expenditures on equipment or or processing plants and stuff like that. The availability of donations is limited. Even though Americans are incredibly generous, it's nowhere near what's needed to actually change the lives of hundreds of millions of people. So but capital is available in huge quantities worldwide. And you know how to deploy that correctly, I think it's gonna be one of the great uh, challenges, but it's, it's, it's possible. Yeah. And as you're looking back on the the past 12 years, you, you know, coming from a predominantly for-profit business background, uh, why was this a position that appealed to you or an organization that appealed to you? And did it live up to kind of your expectations of it? I found when I joined a, a group of people who uh, were smart and also incredibly committed to the mission, the, this this commitment to the work that needed to be done is is is, is a, you know is absolutely necessary to do the things that need to be done. That that I learned after I joined, not before I joined. Um, but the, the the reason the, the the organization attracted to me was that you could see if you do if you did an analysis back then of the the nine nineties and the annual reports, which I did, you got a sense about the availability of resources to be able to be what I call strategy making rather than strategy taking. So I said, wow, this organization can do what it like, what it thinks is the right thing to do as opposed to being subcontracted to the U.S. government or you know, European governments or something like that, or even foundations. That's, that's, what, that's why I joined. I said, I think we can do something here. We can do something fundamental as opposed to just 
operating you know more efficiently as a subcontractor you know it's like it's like being an architect rather than being the electrician and then what's next for you what uh, what does the future hold for for pierre yeah yeah so uh retirement is the wrong word i'm 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 going to do an encore and i'm going to do it so i'm right now i'm working globally right obviously with across across the globe with EFA. but i'm going to go hyper local i live in a in an area south of atlanta and i think there's some uh some opportunities in terms of working with the local communities in political circles and that kind of thing so i can improve the local the, the lives of local folks very local um and you know i've i've been in atlanta because i worked for coke and everything else for decades so i know a fair number of people here locally and i have no idea what it means exactly but i've started the process of meeting with some folks i know and say what could i do you know locally locally i'm and Georgia is a, is a, you know, it's an interesting uh, political state because of its sort of purple nature, without disclosing my particular affiliation, <laughs> which you probably have guessed by now. Um, and I'm not looking for to, to get elected to anything or leadership position. I just want to be part of a group that works for the improvement of my community here, which is uh, Chattahoochee Hills and and some other little little towns locally. So I'm looking forward to that. Actually, I'm, I'm looking forward to just getting involved in local politics. And we'll see We'll see what it leads to. And I'm writing a book. I'm writing a book about the past 12 years, yeah. Well, you'll have to come uh, back and, and talk about the book once it's once it's done. <laughs> of course, of course. I, I absolutely. It's, it's, I, w- I would like it to be a, a book that um, the development community reads and challenged to think about what they're doing and not doing and design and, and described in ways that... Uh, that other people might follow in our footsteps. Because I think we've done a lot of really good stuff, uh, really had an impact on people's lives at scale. That was Heifer International CEO Pierre Ferrari speaking with Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth about his retirement from the organization. That retirement happens this coming September. Do not lose your hope. The Lunch Hour, KUAF's monthly concert and podcast series, is back with a performance by Mia Jeldum and lunch from Mockingbird Kitchen. You can watch this month's podcast on KUAF's YouTube page. And watch out for February's concert featuring Amour and lunch from Secondhand Smoke, coming up February 18th here at KUAF. The Lunch Hour is sponsored by George's Majestic Lounge. This is Ozarks at Large. At last night's meeting of the Washington County Quorum Court Jail Law Enforcement Courts Committee, a resolution by Justice of the Peace Patrick Deacons expressed appreciation to Dr. Robert Karras, operator of Karras Correctional Health. Karras is under contract to treat county jail detainees. This ordinance states very clearly, we appreciate the work of Dr. Robert Karras and Karras Correctional Medicine. We are blessed to have you and thank you so much for your dedicated service to the county. Mr. Chairman, I move passage of this resolution to the full quorum court with a due pass recommendation. In late 2020, Dr. Karras began administering ivermectin to Washington County Jail detainees to treat or prevent COVID-19. It was revealed nine months later. Ivermectin is commonly used over-the-counter to deworm large farm animals and by prescription to treat head lice, parasites, and certain skin conditions in people. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration does not approve use of ivermectin to treat or prevent COVID-19. Justice of the Peace Eva Madison asked committee members not to support the resolution. The only reason the sponsor is bringing this is because he's running for county judge and he's trying to win your political favor. Current County Judge Joseph Wood is not seeking re-election and is running for lieutenant governor. Last month, Arkansas ACLU filed a federal lawsuit on behalf of four Washington County jail detainees who claimed Dr. Karras' treatment made them ill. After public comment from both sides, a majority voted in favor of the non-binding resolution with J.P. Madison, the lone vote against it. Voters in one state Senate district and in one Fayetteville City ward are electing new representatives today in special elections. Last week, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich was hiking to work in the snow when she met a couple determined to cast early ballots. 
Several city snowplows tried in vain to keep streets clear. Two lone hikers, Susan Burkett and Don Lutz, knocked snow out their boots as they entered the post office. Uh, John's going to the post office, mail some things, and then we're going to go do early voting. Due to blizzard conditions, all county buildings were closed, but Washington County Courthouse was open for early voting during the blizzard, ahead of a special city council election taking place today. A clear, cool, sunshiny day in Fayetteville. What's your excuse for not getting out to vote? And ahead on today's Ozarks at Large, John Brummett, a columnist for the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, considers the latest fallout from the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol by people not wanting to accept the results of the 2020 election. His weekly conversation with Roby Brock from Talk Business and Politics, just ahead. The Walmart Amp in Rogers welcomes rock duo The Black Keys with special guests Band of Horses and The Velveteers, Thursday, October 13th. Tickets are now available at amptickets.com or 443-5600. This is Ozarks at Large. It is 2022. An election year, and some of the biggest news of last week was connected to 2020, the last big election year. The Republican National Committee last week chastised two GOP members of Congress for participating in an investigation into the January 6th insurrection. This week, Roby Brock, with our partner Talk Business and Politics, discusses that action with John Brummett, a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Roby began the conversation. Let's begin with the RNC Republican National Committee resolution that has garnered so much uh, headline and buzz over the last uh, couple of days, censuring representatives Liz Cheney and Adam uh, Kinzinger. It's non-binding. It's a partisan political document. It has hyper-partisan language in it. I would expect nothing less. Are we overreacting to this document? Oh, I don't think so. Although, uh, as I explained, you have to have full context on this. Uh, It apparently is so that some members of the RNC were so tone deaf that they thought the wording of that uh, resolution merely meant that they were objecting to what they see as overreach, objectionable uh, tactics by by the investigating committee on what they see as a partisan basis. I think that's that some legitimately thought that. Some now are saying that after the fact. But they're responsible for what they put out. They're responsible for what they vote on. And what they vote on did not differentiate in that way. What they voted on made an open-ended statement that left the very clear impression, in fact, said uh, that uh, the, the said in effect that the entirety of events of January 6th amounted to legitimate political discourse. Somebody in a serious uh, uh, political uh, organization would read that and if concerned about the implications of it, propose to amend that sentence to narrow the focus of what we're objecting about, but they didn't, leading me to suspect that they wanted to have it both ways. They wanted to feed the kook rights in their cage over here some red meat then they wanted to say for themselves, I didn't mean all of that. Well, it blew up on them, and it blew up on them as it, as it should. Uh, and even if, they're, even if they're only referring to tactics, you've got uh, some, were, some were citing that the Arizona Republican chairman is a doctor, and this doctor's uh, uh, phone records have been, uh, have been subpoenaed, and patients' uh, uh, would be, uh, privacy would be uh, violated. Well, uh, say that. But here's the reason the Arizona uh, Republican chairman is involved. She and a set of slate of Republican electors presumed to submit uh, to the Electoral College returns from Arizona, making Trump the winner, though he lost. That's not legitimate political discourse either. It's not beating an officer with a flagpole or breaking windows in the Capitol, but I'm hard pressed to call that legitimate political discourse. So no, no. I do not think we're overacting at all. I think the bigger picture is this entire threat posed by the Republicans' continued devotion to Donald Trump, who continues to advance the un-American, undemocratic nonsense that he was cheated out of the uh, out of the out of the presidency. So, you asked, and I answered. This I right. think holds into this RNC resolution and in, in terms of a bigger picture, the uh, the committee that is at the center of this debate, 
revealed some memos this past week that show a very orchestrated plan to substitute these uh, electors in certain states, to commandeer these voting machines by some federal government agency. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, that's some pretty hefty evidence of, uh, I mean, you, you have to read it and believe it because it's not made up. But but we are in this day and age where the, the chaos that gets created on a daily basis to make you not believe what you are reading with your own eyes or hearing with your own ears. And again, this RNC censure resolution is just like that. We said one thing on a piece of paper, but we're saying right. different. No, no, we say we didn't say it, but you've created this, uh, the, the, this madness. Uh, and uh, th this is, this is, <laughs> this is very serious business. I mean, we got a guy still claiming uh, he he won the election. You got a party not, uh, largely standing uh, uh, behind him, and you got 24 people running in states to be secretaries of state who openly say Joe Biden didn't legitimately win the presidency, uh, and they and they presume to be the top election officials in some in, in half our states. Uh, and the, it's no this 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 entire matter can hardly be overreacted to, in my view. Uh, Governor Asa Hutchinson, again, uh, kind of divorcing himself from the, um, the the larger crowd in the Republican Party here, says this censure resolution by the RNC is wrong. It undermines respect for our rule of law and divides our party unnecessarily. I am grateful for those courageous dissenters in the RNC vote. Um, you're not surprised by Governor Hutchinson's reaction to this, but he put that out pretty much unprompted. Well, actually... Uh, I prompted him, uh, but and I was a little surprised. I'm sitting around Saturday morning, and I read the, this large, this, this thorough piece uh, starting on the front page of the Democrat Gazette about this episode. And I saw that uh, uh, my pals over at the Arkansas Times blog were saying, who in Arkansas, any Republicans in Arkansas willing to stand up to this? And I thought, well, I got the governor's contact information here. Sometimes I bother him on weekends. I assume he has nothing to do on weekends with questions. Uh, so I, I sent him a, a question in the context of my Tuesday uh, column. Uh, and it was uh, the RNC resolution, what say ye? That's what I said. And I thought he's gonna finesse this. He's gonna say, this under, uh, we shouldn't have censored, uh, censured these two for, for participating in this investigation. But at the same time, we need to be mindful of overreach in our, and not being hyper-partisan in our investigative tactics. That's what I would have bet he would send back to me. No, sir. He, he sent back to me promptly what you just said. Then I put it on the Twitter, then it got retweeted. Then everybody's got it out, and he puts it out himself <clears throat> on uh, Sunday morning. And I think he was pleased I put it out and maybe intended for me to, but I intended only to use it in my own column. But I thought when I got the statement, oh, the world needs to see this, you know, that there's a, uh, the governor of Arkansas uh, at times can be as uh, independent and admirable as I have uh, implied in columns. So that's how that happened. And uh, it's, I was, I would have been disappointed in a finesse, but I would have, uh, I would have, expected it and sort of excused it, a way to find it both ways, as so many are having to do. Uh, but he joined uh, about three or four others, Cassidy, Senators Cassidy, Romney, Murkowski, and the governor, Republican governor of Maryland, Hogan, at that point, and openly, openly lamenting uh, this uh, uh, rather serious uh, offense, uh, affront by their own national committee. And I think uh, people of Arkansas ought to be reasonably proud of his independence uh, uh, in, in that national context. John Brummett is a political columnist with the Arkansas Democrat Gazette. His columns can be found at ArkansasOnline.com. He spoke with Roby Brock from our partner, Talk Business and Politics. Much more to this week's session, including conversation regarding Arkansas Attorney General Leslie Rutledge and Little Rock Mayor Frank Scott. You can find the entire discussion at TalkBusiness.net. This is Ozarks at Large. In a few hours, the first live recording of the podcast, Undisciplined, will take place at Into View Art Gallery and Studios in downtown Rogers. The conversation, led by podcast host Dr. Karee Banton, 
will be about black entrepreneurship. Undisciplined, now in its second season, is a podcast collaboration between the University of Arkansas's African and African American Studies and KUAF. And it's produced by Ozarks at Large's Matthew Moore. Matthew is with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Matthew, thank you for coming in. What can we expect tonight? Thanks, Kyle. Uh, so one of the topics we talked about way back in the very first episode of the podcast was this idea of the communiversity bringing the academia that is typically restrained to the university and taking it to the community. This podcast is obviously that in a lot of ways, but we wanted to take it even a step further and literally bring it to the community and have live podcast recordings all across the KUAF listening area. Now, we should point out this is the first, though it was scheduled to be the second because the weather got to us before. Yes. But that one's been rescheduled. Yes. Okay. Uh, this is the first in a series of live podcast recordings. Where else will these take place? What other topics are we going to cover? Right. So we have four different conversations planned over the course of February. Tomorrow's conversation is about black entrepreneurship, like we talked about. We have another scheduled for Tuesday the 15th. That's at St. James Baptist Church in Fayetteville, talking about religion and liberation. We have one Friday, February 18th in Fort Smith that we're calling What's Happening in Black Fort Smith. And we have one planned at the end of the month at the Jones Center. The topic is going to be the fight for justice and equity in Northwest Arkansas. These are free. These are open to the public. But if somebody can't be at the recordings in person, they'll be able to hear these. Later, yes. So that's kind of the beauty of making a live podcast. It is still a podcast. So that means we'll be sharing these live discussions throughout the month of February on the Undisciplined podcast feed. Excellent. Matthew Moore is the producer of the podcast Undisciplined. The first live recording of the podcast is tonight at Into View Art Gallery and Studios in downtown Rogers. Episodes of Undisciplined can be found through all major podcast distributors. Matthew, thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, continues its main stage season Saturday, February 26th at Walton Arts Center. Featuring guest artist Sandeep Das, performing Deniku Jarakna's Tabla Concerto, presented alongside Grajina Batsevich's Overture for Orchestra and Schumann's Second Symphony. Tickets available at 443-5600 or sonamusic.org. This is Ozarks at Large with me in the Anthony and Susan Hoy's news studio, Catherine Schultz or Milton Grammarian. Welcome. Thanks. Everyone who's ever known someone for whom English was a second language knows that what can throw a person is English language idioms. And sometimes English <laughs> as a first language, especially ones that are older sure. and then you're younger and... Never yeah. heard that. Yeah. Well, like, you know, we mentioned a minute ago, if you had something about a dial, you know, dial sure. him up, what the heck does that mean? Right, you know. right. Well, if you casually tell someone that the ball is in his court, he's likely to ask, what ball, what court? Right. I found it true as well in trying to learn Spanish. Direct translations often don't mean what the phrase means. So evidently they're in all languages. We tend to take idioms for granted. We've heard them all our lives. After years of being told and using them ourselves, we know what they mean. Right. But do we know where they come from? Often, idioms have a literal meaning. Oh, I can't wait for this. Yeah, I'm going to ask you. Okay. Uh, some of it might take some mind reading, okay. so tune in. Okay. <laughs> what idiom means to mistakenly reveal a secret? You let the cat out of the bag. There you go. Up to and including the 1700s, a common street fraud included replacing valuable pigs <laughs> <laughs> with less valuable cats and selling them in bags. So you would say, hey, here is a world-class pig. And why is it meowing and, <laughs> and putting its claws wow. through the bag? <laughs> oh, I already feel so much more informed no matter what other idioms we talk about. Interesting. When a cat was let out of a bag, yeah. the jig was up. Okay. Okay, what idiom means to praise or flatter someone, usually to gain a favor? I'm thinking of one, but I don't want to go into the origin of that one. <laughs> oh, how about butter, that, butter, butter someone up? Yeah, butter okay. someone up. It comes from a customary religious act in ancient India that included throwing butterballs at the statues of gods to seek good fortune and their favor. 
I will tell you, <laughs> throwing butter <laughs> at someone, I mean, there's worse things you can throw. <laughs> yeah, but no, these are statues. I so got like, you. Yeah. I know. Okay. All right. I would not have known that origin either. No, no. I, I'm not sure you'll know any okay. of these origins. Uh, Kyle, if I were to tell you that KUAF has been purchased by Fox News, <laughs> what idiom would you use to let me know that I was lying to tease you? So you're kidding me. You're pulling my leg. There you go. Yeah. And the origin wasn't an act in good fun. It originally described the way in which thieves tripped their victims to rob them. They'd well, that makes so much leg. sense. Yeah. This one makes sense. Yeah. I did not expect butterballs at statues or cats in bags, <laughs> but that one makes all kinds of sense. Now, if Rupert Murdoch showed up to make an offer, but he tried to convince you that nothing would change, as we know, nothing would change mm-hmm. if Fox News bought it. And in fact, you would get a 300% increase in salary. Mm-hmm. What idiom might you use to describe him? I think you're talking about a wolf in sheep's clothing. Perfect. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Very yeah. good. And this uh, one, this one, I bet makes sense. Uh, if someone, then someone pretending to be something they're not, usually to the detriment of others. This one is attributed to the Bible. Yeah. 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 Matthew seven, fifteen. The Bible also gave us rise and shine, see, seeing eye to eye, and a broken heart. Really, a broken heart comes mm-hmm, from the Bible. Mm-hmm. That one, that one, I did not know. Mm-hmm. This one, pretty much. I bet that's a psalm. A psalm? Oh, a psalm. <laughs> Just a song. Yeah. Okay, a song. Broken heart. That sounds like. Yeah, yeah. Language makes from a sense. psalm. Sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I, I've actually got the yeah. Psalm yeah. sixty-nine twenty. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You got it. This one is pretty much confined to use by teenagers. Mm. Unless you're Michael Scott from The Office. Okay, okay. <laughs> but how do you claim the car seat in the front next oh, to the driver? Shotgun. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> I want you to take a shot, see what mm. I did there, at the origin of riding shotgun. Okay, this is pure <laughs> guess, but I'm guessing on like a stagecoach, the person who's on one side, they got the shotgun in case bad guys That's show up. That's exactly right, yep. Okay, if you ask me to sit down at the piano and entertain you, what idiom might I use to tell you that you had the wrong person? Mm. Not my cup of tea or... There's a word in there, had the wrong person. Mm. So you expect me to know how to do something and I don't know it. Yeah. Yeah, well, but you're... Yeah, I'm telling you, you got the wrong person. Yeah. Barking up the wrong wrong tree. tree. Mm -hmm. Ah. Mm -hmm. Ah. Uh, I got you. Generally, it means pursuing a misguided course of action. And given that the major clue is in the idiom itself, how do you think it might have originated? Well, I'm going to think that you had your dogs out trying to tree a a raccoon or a squirrel or something, and they would go to the tree that the critter did not go up. That's right. Exactly. They'd bark at the bottom of the wrong tree after the prey in question had moved on to the next branch. Yeah. I experience this not daily but often with my dog, Daisy. (laughs) She'll see a squirrel go up a tree, and then I've seen that the squirrel's gone over to the next Uh, tree, but Daisy is locked in on that trunk. She's going that that tree, yeah. (laughs) Um, Kyle, how do you use the idiom flying off the handle? Oh, when you're just like um, re- disproportionately upset about something. Yeah, and suddenly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you want to take a guess at its origin? I'm going to say it's something about cooking over a pot of stew or something. <laughs> Ooh, that's hot. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm Imagine saying. losing, have someone yeah. losing their temper there. It is said to come from poorly made axes of the 1800s that would literally detach from the handle. Oh, Lord, that's not good. (laughs) Flying off the handle and landing in someone's skull. But kudos to that becoming an idiom because that would be exactly, I can see the transition there. Sure, sure. Okay, Kyle, you tell me that you've got a painful task or you must endure an unpleasant situation. What am I likely to say to you? So I've got to do something I don't want to do, but I've got to do it. mm -hmm. I'm going to have to bite the bullet. Perfect. Boy, you are an idiom king, man. Uh, (laughs) Close. (laughs) Um, And so what do you think the origin of that is? I have a—when I was a kid, there would be movies and someone was dying and or needed 
an operation without anesthesia and they'd right. say, bite this That's bullet. That's it. That's okay. it. In the 1800s, patients would literally bite on the bullet. How would that help? I would think that would just hurt your teeth. Maybe that's it. It hurts your teeth more to bite a bullet than to yeah, have yeah, it. Well, yeah, it's kind of like, um, I don't know if you're familiar with this, but grinding at night, it's better right. to grind on a piece of plastic than it is right. on your teeth. Mouth guards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Uh-huh. I got you. If I'm cautioning against removing the good with the bad, mm-hmm. what idiom might I use? This is one that's always, if it's the one I'm thinking of, it's always kind of, alternatively interested me where it came from and creeped me out, uh, throwing the baby out yes, of the bathwater. that's water. it. Mm-hmm. The origin is one I kind of hate to talk about, given uh-huh. that this will be heard while people might be having lunch or dinner. Okay. It allegedly comes from a time when the household bathed in the same water. Okay. First the Lord would bathe, no, then the men, uh-huh. then the lady, then the women, then the children, and the babies were last. The bath water is said to have been so dirty that there was a risk of throwing the baby out with the water. Because you couldn't even see. That's right. <laughs> That's what I say. You don't want to be yeah. eating dinner while you hear this. Buen provecho. I'm sorry, what now? Buen provecho. What does that mean? Enjoy your meal. Ah, Catherine Charles is our militant grammarian. The U.S. economy might look good on paper. Record wage gains, unprecedented number of jobs created, and GDP growth not seen in decades. But a lot of voters don't feel good about the economy. People's feeling about the economy is colored by where they expected they were going to be at this point. And that's a problem for President Biden. That story this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. All Things Considered, this afternoon from 3 to 6 on KUAF. And you can always listen to KUAF by asking your smart speaker to please play KUAF. Both John Brown University basketball teams dropped games to Wesleyan Baptist last night in Plainsview, Texas. The season is winding down for the JBU squads. There are just four regular season games left on the schedule, just two home dates left before the Sooner Athletic Conference Tournament begins February 22nd. The JBU teams will be at Southwestern Christian on Thursday. The last scheduled home games of the year are Saturday against Mid-America Christian and Saturday the 19th versus Texas Wesleyan. The University of Arkansas-Ford Smith basketball seasons continue with games Thursday night in Austin, Texas against St. Edwards University. Next home dates for UAFS, Thursday the 17th with Angelo State in the River Valley. That night is Educators Community Night at Stubblefield Arena. The Arkansas Razorback women's basketball team is already filling out part of its 2022-23 schedule. Yesterday, it was announced the Razorbacks would be part of the 2022 field for the Paradise Jam in the Virgin Islands. Arkansas will be joined in the tournament by Clemson, Georgia, Kansas State, Northern Arizona, Seton Hall, VCU, and Wisconsin. The games will be played November 24th through the 26th. And a harbinger of warmer days ahead is here, college baseball. The UAFS Lions opened the 2022 season this past weekend with games at Lubbock Christian University. Home opener for UAFS, Friday afternoon against Angelo State University. University of Arkansas Razorback baseball season begins on Friday the 18th with Illinois State in Bomb Stadium. And the Arkansas softball team begins their season Thursday morning against Rutgers in the Puerto Vallarta Classic in Mexico. Arkansas's first home game, Thursday the 17th, against Wichita State. KUAF is supported by Hendricks College in Conway, home of Life Launch, a new one-week residential summer program for rising high school juniors and seniors to explore career planning and experience college life. Now accepting applications for its inaugural session, which begins June 2022. More information is available at Hendricks.edu slash life launch. This is Ozarks at Large. This past weekend, North Song Wild Bird Rehabilitation released a barred owl back into the wild in front of a crowd at the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks. Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth was there, and he delivers us this postcard from the event. All right, flies out of the box. I'm sorry. My name is Madison Kennedy. I'm the medical outreach coordinator for North Song Wild Bird Rehabilitation. Okay, so if you guys don't mind, I'm going to kind of walk around with him. Don't don't reach out and grab him or anything like that, okay? 
Yes, so uh, we were presented with a barred owl in early October. We did a surgical procedure on him because he had a broken leg. Um, he also became bilaterally blind, so he was blind in both eyes. After about two weeks, he regained vision in one eye, which we were very, very hopeful about. He's a fighter and he's a miracle, and he gained eye function in his left eye. His right eye is completely blind, but because he is an owl and they use their eyes for hunting mostly, it is okay, um, and there is data to support that you can release a one-eyed owl. So we have had him since October, and then we let him heal from surgery, get his eyesight back, we put him in a flight aviary, let him relearn to fly, regain muscle mass, and then um, now we're here and we released him back into the wild where he belongs. Not very much. He's probably between one to two pounds. He's mostly feathered. Since June, we have seen 63 patients. 23 of those came in with fractures, and um, we did surgery on seven of them, and then we also released seven back into the wild. So I think when people are kind of challenged to really look at what they think is maybe beautiful in the world, birds are actually one of those. There's a lot of, of people in this community of Northwest Arkansas that do enjoy bird watching and getting a bird that we can release back to the wild in front of the public, it really shows that people do care. People do love animals and that includes your wild birds. So okay. is everyone where they want to be? Everybody everybody good? Even if a story for Ozarks at Large requires Daniel to go outside, like the release of a barred owl at the Botanical Garden of the Ozarks, he still puts the story together inside the Karen Taha News Studio at KUAF. And every weekday morning, he's in the Karen Taha News Studio writing up and delivering newscasts about our state and region. You can hear those newscasts every Monday through Friday morning at 5.30 and 7.30 inside Morning Edition on your public radio station, 91.3 KUAF. For the Central Arkansas Library System, I'm Mark Crist with an Encyclopedia of Arkansas Minute. A black physician in Pine Bluff never refused health care to the poor and uninsured. Cleon Aurelius Flowers was born in Stamps on July 26, 1913, a member of a prominent black family. Though many thought he would be a preacher, Flowers chose to be a doctor, training at Meharry Medical College and the Thomas C. McRae Memorial Sanatorium in Alexander. Practicing in the Mosaic Temple in Pine Bluff, Flowers operated a patient-centered practice and was sometimes paid with pigs, chickens, homegrown vegetables, and wild game by his less affluent patients. Keeping odd hours to serve his working-class patients, Flowers made house visits and in 1954 received national attention when he successfully delivered a set of conjoined twins at home. Cleon Flowers died on his birthday at his home in 2002 and is buried in Pine Bluff's Forest Lawn Memorial Gardens. In 2014, he was added to the Arkansas Civil Rights Heritage Trail for his work on health care equality. To learn more, visit encyclopediaofarkansas.net. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, the Washington County Historical Society Black Settlers Committee was formed to cast light on early African-American pioneers, both enslaved and free in the region. The compendium was a reaction to the discovery that there were so few items that would come up to a search for writings about blacks in this area of the state. And so inasmuch as I had served for years on the University of Arkansas's press committee and knew of at least one or two works or so that had been printed by our press even that were not even on that listing, I was really eager to get this project started. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich has that report for us tomorrow. Plus, we'll have highlights from tonight's live podcast recording of Undisciplined from downtown Rogers. And speaking of downtowns, we'll learn more about an art explosion in downtown Springdale. That and more on tomorrow's Ozarks at Large at noon and 7 p.m. You can also listen at any time with a download from or subscription to the Ozarks at Large podcast through any podcast distributor. I'm Scott Tong. Long-haul COVID affects people months after they've recovered from infection, even sometimes young kids. Ben is 13, and he developed POTS. That's when your heart rate goes up really high. You would just get nauseous and then throw up. Then he started getting foggy-headed. Long COVID in kids, next time on Here and Now.
Here and Now begins in just a few minutes at 1 o'clock on KUAF. We now know the 2022 Arkansas Food Hall of Fame inductees. The Arkansas Department of Heritage, sponsors of the Arkansas Food Hall of Fame, announced this year's class yesterday. And Neal's Cafe in Springdale is among three restaurants selected for enshrinement. The others, the Colonial Steakhouse of Pine Bluff and Dairy King in Portia, located in Lawrence County. Though there were other nominees from our part of the state in other categories, none selected this year. The food theme event winner for 2022 is the World Championship Duck Gumbo Cook-Off that happens each year in Arkansas County. Proprietors of the year in 2022 are the owners of Trio's Restaurant in Little Rock. Nominees came from the public late last year. The eventual winners were chosen by a committee of Arkansas historians, chefs, food authors, and foodies. Arkansas Heritage, by the way, also honored a food of the year, chicken. And speaking of nominees, Northwest Arkansas Community College is seeking nominations for honorary degree recipients. NWAC's honorary degrees recognize community members or individuals associated with NWAC who exemplify outstanding service to NWAC and or the community. And that means enhances the quality of life and is outside of their normal occupational pursuits. Recipients will be recognized during NWAC's commencement ceremony in May this year. Nominee service should be in at least one of the areas of educational service, humanitarian service, arts and letters, servant leadership, and or entrepreneurial leadership. Nominations now open and due by March 1st. If you'd like to make a nomination, nwac.edu slash honorary degree nomination. And if you live in Bella Vista, you can nominate that lamp or piece of art to be sold as part of the citywide garage sale there in late April. That's a little bit away from now. The city is planning to have the citywide garage sale, but they're going to see how our ongoing experience with the pandemic continues before making full details about how it will proceed. But right now it's on. It's scheduled for Friday and Saturday, April 29th and 30th. Rain dates for the following Friday and Saturday. If you'd like more details, follow the links at bellavistaneighbor.com. No snow in this weekend's forecast. Cooler temperatures by Saturday than what we're experiencing today and tomorrow. True, but no snow. So if you want to get out and do things, there are things to get out and do. Downtown Springdale will host the first free art walk of 2022 in downtown Springdale. It's from 11 until 4 Saturday. It will showcase creatives from downtown Springdale inside galleries, inside museums, inside makerspaces and boutiques. Exhibitions and entertainment included. There is an art walk map available at R. McClintock Fine Woodworking Shop. If you'd like to know more details about Saturday's downtown walk, you can go to downtownspringdale.org. The Museum of Native American History, Mona, is hosting Creative Visions, Love Letters to Your Family History with Bobby C. Martin. That, too, is Saturday. That's at 4.30 in the afternoon. He's a Muscogee Creek artist, and he'll lead a collage workshop. Registration is required. There is a fee for supplies. For more information, mona.us. That's M-O-N-A-H dot U-S. And the Northwest Arkansas Jazz Society will host Hunter Tones at Roots HQ Friday night at 7.30. Roots HQ just on the corner of the Fayetteville Square. Tickets and information available at digjazz.com. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Poto, Oklahoma. Timothy Dennis produced today's show. Contributors included Daniel Carruth, Matthew Moore, Catherine Sheralds, and Mark Christ. Thanks as well to Jacqueline Froelich for giving us information about last night's Washington County Quorum Court Committee meeting. Our conversations between John Brummett and Roby Brock are part of our continuing relationship with talk business and politics. KUAF's underwriting director is Rhonda Dillard. Additional material today from KUAR in Little Rock. From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellums.